I hope it gives you as much pleasure and joy as it does me coming in and seeing the red Pentecost balloons. It's something that was brought to me and to the church that I served in Knoxville, Tennessee uh, from many years ago um, when, we, when we had a musician join us who had been the associate musician at the cathedral in Denver, Colorado, which probably has a ceiling at least twice or maybe three times as high as this. Um, and uh, in that cathedral, they would put these on very long, long strands, and that put them up where the air conditioning was working. And so they would all be doing this way up high. So I just love it. I thank God for, for, for it. It's the third time we've had Pentecost in this building. Can you believe that? This is the third Pentecost that has been my privilege to share with you. And as is so often the case in the life of our congregation at this time, uh, there's a lot that's going on among us. And so there's more than one reason to, give, uh, to, give, uh, to celebrate today. We're celebrating, of course, one of the three great feasts of the Christian year. Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost are the pinnacles. These are the, these are the most crucial of all the celebrations of every Sunday in the year. Now, faithful Christians keep every Sunday. But in the history of the church, many who call themselves Christians are not so faithful as every Sunday Christians. So the custom grew up that it was required of you that you would attend Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost if you were going to be considered a member in good standing. So, hey, good standing, folks. But today, later, we will also celebrate a number of graduations that have, have been in our congregation and some wonderful news of awards extended to members of our congregation who are teachers. Um, I think it's three, or is it four? Yeah, we have four of our congregation who got best teacher or best something in the, in the schools this year, so we'll, we'll celebrate that at 1045. And now listen, next Sunday, the vestry and the search committee by God's will and by God's favor, we'll have an announcement. So you don't want to miss next Sunday. But today's gospel, John 14, it's one, again, of the most unusual in the new 2019 prayer book. And that is that the readings for Pentecost are always the same. They never vary. Most of you will know that there's a three-year cycle uh, of readings on Sunday and it, for us for the last 50 years or so. And, and yet on this particular Sunday of, of every year, the same readings are to be used every year. So John 14 is always appointed on this day. And for me, although there's no footnote in the Book of Common Prayer 2019 that says this, it means that our revisers, those who revise the Book of Common Prayer, think that these readings, and particularly this gospel, is central to our understanding as Christians. So I want you to listen up, listen up. I want to key off of verse 17, and only a portion of verse 17, where Jesus says to his disciples, you have known the Father because you know me. You have known God Almighty because you have known me. God Almighty is in me, and I am in God Almighty. 
And soon a day is coming. Soon a day is coming when the Spirit of God will be with you. And not just with you, in you. And then Jesus says in verse 17, He has been with you, but he will be in you. Now, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that knowing God is knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is knowing the Holy Spirit. There is only one God. There are not three gods. God has manifested himself. We sang a Trinitarian hymn today. My hunch is we'll sing it next Sunday as well, on Trinity Sunday, maybe. Um, And it is a Trinitarian hymn because our God is a Trinitarian God. He has revealed himself as Father and Creator, as Son and Savior, and as Holy Spirit and Comforter or Helper, as this version of the English Bible translated. He has been with you in me, Jesus is saying. The Spirit of God is in me. There's not something different. There's not another God called the Holy Spirit. The God who is God has been with you in me. But a day is coming when the God who is God will be in you. Now hear these words of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss them. How does this come about? Jesus says in this gospel reading, It comes about when you believe in me. When you believe that I was sent by God, that God dwells in me and I dwell in God, that the Spirit of God dwells in me and dwells one day in you. When you believe in me, you will love me. And if you learn to love me, you will learn to want to walk in my commandments. This will be the sign. You believe in me, you love me, you walk in my commandments. And when that is unfolding in your life, the Holy Spirit will be given to you. The Holy Spirit will be sent to you. The Holy Spirit will be revealed to you and the Holy Spirit will dwell in you if you believe in me. Now, clearly, the difference in what Jesus is saying between saying I believe in him and believing in him in the way that he's describing it to us is that I am growing more and more and more and more to love him. And because I'm growing more and more and more to love him, I am growing more and more and more to want to keep his commandments. When the Holy Spirit is sent to us, when the Holy Spirit is given to us, when the Holy Spirit is revealed in us and comes to dwell in us, how do we know? Well, we know because we have a changed life. Life without the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit is night and day. It's different. It can't be missed. It can't be misunderstood by the one to whom it has been given. The Holy Spirit 
changes my life. It changes my heart. It changes my mind. It changes my desires. Now, it doesn't happen instantly that I become all that I am meant to become, but that change occurs when the Spirit of God comes and goes from being, I see him, I like what I know about Jesus, I admire what I know about Jesus, I admire what I know about holy men and women of old, I admire these things, I even intellectually assent to these things. But when the Spirit that I so admire comes to me, my life begins to change. There's no going back. There's no, there's no turning back. Something has happened. I like to say it this way. I've surely said it many times before, but let me say it again. We move from I ought to be this way to I want to be this way. We go from the ought to to the want to. I know I ought to be in love with the Lord. I know I ought to want to walk in the Lord's commandments. I ought to do it. 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 But I don't do it. Now I want to do it. And when I fall, I want to get up that I might not fall again. There's that change from the ought to to the want to. And the second change that is always associated with it is like the other side of the coin. I go from wanting my way to beginning to want God's way. And that too is a journey. That is a journey that never ends. I want to want God's will. But the old man in me dies hard. Okay, so my will comes to the fore over and over again, and I don't want it to. I become aware of it. I begin to recognize it. It makes me mad. For a while, I get mad at the person who made me mad. Gradually, I learn that the person I have to be mad at is me. Lord, I want your will to replace my will. When those two things are going on, the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit is present. Nothing at all can ever take the place of those two signs. No miracle, no ability to preach, no, 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 no anything, no emotion, no experience, no conference, no momentary high on a mountain. None of that, if this is not present, is a true sign of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is present, ought to starts to be want to. My will starts to be God's will. Now, Paul today, in one of the most beautiful passages, a section of the first letter to the Corinthians, is having to deal a lot with the Holy Spirit in a congregation that had gotten quite intoxicated <laughs> with the Holy Spirit, and with the portion of God's presence that could be described as power and signs and wonders and miracles. And who wouldn't get intoxicated by it? Hmm? Uh, even you, yeah, even me, 
you know, even Kelly. We would be so thrilled that we would, of course, be intoxicated with it. And that whole congregation had gotten caught up with it. But just as some of us have seen and some of us have lived in this era when there was a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God on our church, and even in particular in this Waccamaw Neck area, we know how that doesn't always lead to godly behaviors. That doesn't always lead to godly actions. It doesn't always lead to truly changed lives. But there's the memory of the intoxication. Well, Paul is dealing with that. And one of the things that he has to say, and it is critical to know and understand, is that when the Spirit of God comes, the Spirit of God touches each person uniquely. What the Spirit of God does when he touches Al is different than when he touches Ben, because Al is unique in God's sight. There's never been nor ever will be anyone like him. He's unique by God's creative grace. Ben is unique by God's creative grace. Evelyn is unique by God's creative grace. And Paul says the Spirit of God brings gifts to each believer. Each believer is given the gift of the Spirit for the common good. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7, 1, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Well, what then is common to all when the Spirit comes? Well, I've already told you. What is common when the Holy Spirit comes to anyone is a changed life. A desire to move from being burdened by the law, the ought-tos, to an interior desire to want to. From my way to God's way. So when the Spirit of God comes, what's common to every single human being to whom the Spirit of God has ever come is a testimony of a changed life. Not a perfect life. Don't misunderstand this. Not a life without sin. Not a life without mistakes. Not a life that is in any way, shape, or form perfect. But a life that is different and becoming different because the change is happening inside of me. A testimony of a changed life. I have a dear brother in Christ named Prince Van Gore. His last name is two words, Van Gore, and he was given the name Prince by his Christian mother when he was born in India. And he serves the gospel in northwest India, along with his dear wife, Gigi, and their two almost grown children, Benjamin and Hannah. They live in the most hostile region of India for the gospel of Christ. When Ben and, or excuse me, when Prince and Gigi moved to northwest India to preach the gospel and serve the Lord, it was estimated that 0.12% of the millions who lived in that region were Christians. 0.12%. And almost all of those were in one particular city and were almost all Roman Catholics. 
Well, uh, Prince and Gigi have served there coming on to 20 years, and they have seen thousands upon thousands upon thousands of poor Hindu men and women become believing Christians. It's one of the miracle stories of the age in which we live. And it's unknown because they're not there to have attention drawn to themselves. They're there that, as the Pentecost colic today says, that the gospel of Jesus Christ might be preached to the ends of the earth. And one of the things that Dear Prince does, the moment a man or a woman gives their life to Christ and leaves Hinduism at great cost, to suffer persecution, to be outcast from their family in many, in many cases. Uh, one of the first things he does, in fact, the first thing he does, is gather with them and help them create a three-minute testimony of what has happened. So that by the next Sunday, by the next Sunday, each of the converts can stand before the congregation and give a three-minute testimony of what happened. What did they hear? Who were they before they heard it? What did it do when they believed it and got baptized? Because he will baptize them between last Sunday and this Sunday. The testimony of a change in life is common to every Christian, even though every Christian is different. Even though the gifting that is given to one is not the same as the gifting that is given to other. The call that is given to one is not the same as the call that is given to another. The role in life that is given by God to one is not the role in life given to another. But a testimony of change is always there. A second thing that is always made manifest, and it grows, it grows little by little by little, is a desire to know God's word, to know God's word. There is no way to learn God's will except to know God's word. That is common to all. And knowing God's word increasingly by the Spirit causes a believer to want to do God's will. That's common to all of us in Christ. Hear me again, the coming of the Holy Spirit is not about emotion. It may, for some, involve emotion. It certainly did for me. But emotion is not the issue. A changed life is the issue. Again, another story, I have to watch my clock, probably. Hmm. Yeah, quick story, West Point story. Um, October of 1963, Army was going to play Penn State on Saturday at, at uh, college, whatever that town where Penn State is, College Park or something like that. And it was a big deal. Penn State was a big team. But we had a pretty good team ourselves, and we were, we were really praying. I don't know if we were praying, but we were sure hoping that we could beat them. And it was the custom and then, and I'm sure it still is now, that there was a pep rally before a game, an away game, a big game. And, and it took place in the dining hall, which is called Washington Hall, which is, believe it or not, a building where 4,000 cadets have a meal at the same time. 
in those days, we were about 3,000. We sat down at the same time. We stood up at the same time. We were all served at the same time. And after the meal, on the Thursday night, because the travel day would be Friday, on Thursday night, the, the, uh, the rabble-rousers, who were the cheerleaders of the Corps of Cadets in those days, the rabble-rousers would do a, some sort of a crazy skit and get us all pumped up to, you know, to go out and beat Penn State. And we'd be silly and rah-rah and do stuff that you've probably all experienced or, or been present at a spirit night, as sometimes they're called. Well, that night, the rabble-rousers got us really going. I was a plebe, and I had been a plebe for three months, which means I thought I was dying for three straight months. Um, I was terrified to do wrong, because the moment you did wrong, you were, you were, you were pounced on. And so, but that night, as the, as, the, as the pep rally got going, it got out of control. I don't know how, I don't know when, but at some moment, things that had never happened before and have never happened since began to happen. Now, when 3,000 men begin to break the law, guess what? There's no stopping it. Somebody, somewhere, said, stack tables. Now, we sat in tens at heavy oak tables. They were massive and stout. And somewhere in that great hall, some cadets put two together and put another one on top and started building a pyramid of oak tables. And the building was a high building. And when that started happening over there, it started happening over here. And then food started flying. And, and, then, and then some of the guys climbing up on top of the tables were taking off their jackets and swirling them around. And it became an emotional hothouse of, of, of unbelievable proportion. A minute or two into it, plebes were very tentatively going from being like this to sort of throwing food themselves, right? Smart plebes like me hightailed it out the door <laughs> and got back to the room because we knew something bad was gonna come. And of course, when it was all over that evening, the superintendent of cadets called all the senior class, the first classmen, to the one building and hall where they could meet as a whole class. And he ripped a strip off every one of them and he put all the senior class in detention for 30 days. But we beat Penn State. <laughs> so for those of us that lived through those years, we will never forget that. But it was all emotion. Now I'll never forget it. But the Spirit of God has come to me, not that I'll remember the emotion of my conversion, but that my life will be different. My life will be different. When the Spirit comes also, the scripture says today, the church is built up. The church, when the New Testament uses the word, never means a building. As much as I love the joy that's been in my life to be a part of this uh, sanctuary being, being used for the glory of God. When the church is built up, it means the community is stronger. The community is more faithful. The community is more loving. The life of individuals are being built up. People are bearing with one another's weaknesses. People are learning to bear with one another's sins. People are 
growing in Christ together. When Pentecost happens in a person's life, it happens not just for their good, but for the good of the rest of us. And that's why we pray for it. That's why we ask God for it. We ask God for it for ourselves, and we ask God for it for his church. It is a fact that the Spirit of God can come and we can fall into error. We can fall into sin. We can turn away from good paths to paths that are not so good. And so the New Testament tells us another thing. There is such a thing as the fullness of the Spirit. There is such a thing as having leaked, (laughs) like a can with a BB shot through the can and tried to put water in it. So on every Pentecost, we pray for ourselves and for our church. Fill us afresh, Lord God. Fill us afresh. Help us to be people who want what you want. Change our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.